<laughs> Wacky Dacky Do. Let's go to the moon. That's right. The Moonshot Podcast Network is celebrating with a springtime stream for charity, the Moon Carnival, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, May 26th through the 28th. We've got Hades. We've got Hitman. We've got Hot Wheels. We've got a good time ready for you for a good cause for Trans Lifeline this Memorial Day weekend at twitch.com slash tv slash moonshot network. And welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The House of Hades. How are you today, Jane? Uh, I'm, I am surprisingly doing pretty good. I'm coming right off the heels of being uh, really sick all week. Uh-huh. Like, I couldn't get out of bed for like a day. <laughs> So, you know what? I'm feeling good. The rejuvenating power of uh, the very good book, The House of Hades, I think, has, has helped my recovery. Well, that's amazing. I'm really glad for that. You know, <laughs> I, I, I've i been, you know, digitally sort of tending to you. I've been pouring you glasses uh-huh. of digital orange juice. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to see you've made a recovery. Which has not helped my sore throat at all, but it has raised my spirits. Uh-huh, uh-huh. How are you, Jacqueline? <laughs> I am doing pretty good. Uh, I, I have a couple of days off next week, so I'm, I'm sort of just vibing with that, with excitement. Uh, it's, it's a weird thing where it's like, right now I have a very normal, like, week, uh, but next week I'll have a less normal week, and I'll get to play all the Breath of the Wild that I want. <laughs> God, t- Tears of the Kingdom. I, I have not played that game yet. Everything I've seen about that game kind of seems to imply that, like, you're essentially playing as, like, Leo Valdez at his full power. It seems like it. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> for when I get to. I've challenged myself to first uh, get all 900 Korok seeds. And you're insane. Let me ta- Jane, I've gotten, like, 350 in the past, uh, like, couple days. It's It's not as bad as you think. You're not disproving my point, I think. <laughs> That's fair. I've also listened to a lot of podcasts. Uh, so, you know, Gross. I guess... Fuck podcasting, honestly. <laughs> hey, podcasters, get a life. <laughs> what are you doing? Talking into a fucking microphone all day? Who cares? Gas. <laughs> well, that's that's for then, and this is for now. So for now, do you want to give us the summaries? Hell yes. Do-do-do-do-do. Uh, Chapter 69, Annabeth. Tartarus scares the shit out... (laughs) Thank you. Tartarus scares the shit out of Annabeth and Percy so badly that they both basically just keel over and wait to die. However, before he can do the deed, Bob leaps to their aid. Tartarus curses Iapetus, but Bob self-actualizes and declares that he chooses to be Bob from now on. And because he no longer defies himself as a titan child of Tartarus, the god's powers are actually less effective against him. And by less effective, I mean it's going to take him a few minutes to murder Bob, rather than instantly like he did for Hyperion or Creos. Small Bob also changes into his tiger form, and the two Bobs battle Tartarus to the death. Chapter 70, Annabeth. Unfortunately, there's still a horde of monsters to worry about. Percy and Annabeth manage to beat them back long enough to cut the chains on the doors of death, meaning that after their next 
use, they'll move somewhere else in Tartarus, and no longer be effective for getting an entire army through. Percy tries to do his heroic sacrifice thing to hold the elevator button, which Annabeth vetoes. If he's going to do that, she's not being separated from him again. They'll both stay and help Bob together. However, just before they rush in, a Dracon arrives, incinerating a swath of monsters, and ridden by the swamp giant Damasen. Damasen engages Tartarus and allows a heavily wounded Bob to limp back to the doors. Bob tells Percy and Annabeth to go and stop Gaia, and while Percy can't stand the idea of ditching the Titan, Annabeth overrules him and accepts his offer, swearing that even if Tartarus annihilates Bob down to his fundamental particles, it'll keep his memory alive for as long as it takes for him to reform. The last thing that Bob tells the pair is to hold the door shut on their way up, and then Percy and Annabeth are alone in the elevator. Chapter 72, Annabeth. Annabeth worries that Percy is angry with her for ditching Bob and Damasen, but also wonders if this is a burden that children of Athena must learn to bear, being the ones who sometimes have to do the heartless thing and get people killed in service of the greater good. Percy, meanwhile, swears that he'll kill Gaia with his bare hands, and between them they manage to hold the doors for all 12 minutes of the journey upstairs. Chapter 73, Hazel. Hazel has a bit of a sook just because she's separated from most of her friends and her partner is probably dead, while Leo watches awkwardly on. After she cools off a little, she apologises to Leo for how weird things have been between them, but Leo is unbothered by it, claiming that his new theory is that the universe is a machine in which everything happens for a reason, and therefore there's no reason for Hazel to be sorry about what happened between them. Instead, he believes that he was meant to meet her so that Hazel could get some closure about Sammy. They set off towards the doors of death, and Gale the gassy polecat rejoins them. They enter a super edgy underground pantheon decorated with Hades stuff, and find the doors. They also find Clatius, the anti-Hades giant, and Pacify, immortal sorceress and former wife of King Minos, of Minotaur fame. Pacify claims, explains that she despises demigods because they've fucked her over at every turn, from her husband Minos getting her cursed, to Theseus killing her kid and carting off her daughter Ariadne, and Daedalus for trapping the Minotaur in the labyrinth to begin with. Hazel is mostly disturbed because the story about her mother being disgusted by the child she was cursed with understandably digs up some baggage about her own relationship with her mother. The doors chime and the 12 minute countdown to Percy and Annabeth arriving begins. Pacify informs Hazel and Leo that someone will need to press the button on their end to let them back into the mortal world, which she and Clitius. Fuck! Fuck! <laughs> which she and Clatius won't let them do. Chapter 74 Hazel. Pacify conjures an illusion of the labyrinth around Leo and Hazel. This is the domain that they were warned about, where after the giant's victory, Pacify will throw demigods to be tortured to death by illusory terrors. Unfortunately, it's so real that even though Leo and Hazel know it's an illusion, they feel compelled to flee through it anyway. Hazel uses her control of the mist to slowly modify the labyrinth until she and Leo can get out and attack Pacify, culminating in Hazel manifesting a trapdoor beneath her and dropping her into illusory darkness. Clatius watches the whole scene impassively. When the doors chime and Annabeth and Percy arrive, Leo is able to hit the button and let them out, but the pair are unconscious. Leo tries to attack Clatius with some fire magic, but he absorbs it and floods Leo's body with black smoke, knocking him out. Before he can kill Hazel, however, another fire magic user arrives, the goddess Hecate, who has decided that Hazel has proven herself worthy of godly assistance. <sighs> so Jacqueline, what did you think of these chapters? I feel like we are Annabeth and Percy, and we uh-huh. just took the huge leap across the, the river, and we're at the ending now. We got we got to the landing, uh-huh. and I, our feet are sticking, Jane. Interesting. Our feet are sticking. the The landing, it, the, uh, it, the the book is good. The book is good. These chapters are good. I don't feel like these are six chapters away from the end chapters. You know, a little bit, yeah. 
Which I guess I I I, I do wonder if like it's going to turn out to be the case that like Blood of Olympus is basically just House of Hades Part Two. It's possible. I mean, our time scale is getting pretty, you know, tiny. Like we don't have mm-hmm. a lot of time left to save the world from Gaia. It's like two weeks until Gaia's supposed to do her big awakening ceremony or some shit. Uh huh. So I guess no matter what, but I mean, Percy Jackson books have taken place in a shorter amount of time. This is true. Apart from the the bit in Son of Neptune, which took place over like a hundred years or whatever the fuck. Uh huh. Uh huh. I would say that these are very good chapters. I, I agree with you that it does feel like, okay, how, how are we going to wrap this up? But I think so far, if we're calling this like the ending, the ending is going well. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, right right off the... I think we, we have nothing but uh, good things to look forward to if this is like Blood of Olympus Part 1 because Rick, Rick is really showing his, um, his penchant for long-form storytelling in here. Uh-huh. There is a fucking six book payoff to a joke in these chapters yeah <laughs> which is the, so the thing with small bob in um titan's curse the, the little cats that got summoned was that they were supposed to be saber-toothed tigers but they weren't so atlas uh-huh. just kicked them down to hades and now it turns out the small bob actually can turn into a saber-toothed tiger <laughs> <laughs> fucking god i'll admit because it's been six books i did i was just like wow cool cat uh i only called that on the reread it's fucking hilarious that's that's amazing (laughs) i yeah he's doing the long game here for sure (laughs) in the parts where it counts you know yeah for sure the most important thing which is small mob exactly oh man (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, we, we should talk because we were pretty down on Tartarus showing up uh, at the end of the last episode. How do we feel about how this whole confrontation played out? I, I think in terms of like the atmosphere of the book, I still think that he shouldn't have shown up in person, but I do kind of like what gets done with it in these chapters. Yeah. I like, I, I think, you know, it's a, it, there's a cool fight between Bob Damason and Tartarus. And I think like... I don't know, I think there's something really kind of cool in, like, Tartarus seeming like this, like, reality-warping, completely overbearing presence before. But, like, when when his kid, who he's treated like shit, kind of, like, starts to come into his own and, like, find his own identity, like, Tartarus becomes kind of smaller and, like, not defeatable, but, like, is is more on Bob's level, you know? He has less power over him now. That's what this entire that's like everything that's happening in these uh chapters kind of put to a put to a T in in a way. But it's all about we're I I I don't know if you felt like this. We sort of I think by by like the third or fourth book we kind of like got what the theme like the the big theme of Percy Jackson and the Olympians was, right? Mhm. Uh Maybe it didn't really like fully solidify until like uh, the last Olympian. Yeah. But I feel like I I've had a bit more of a struggle with that uh, until until uh, like I've had a bit more of a struggle with that in Heroes of Olympus to like find like one big unifying theme, which isn't always you know you don't always need one of those, but it tends to be how Rick Riordan does stuff. Yeah, we've been I think we've been complaining in a couple of episodes about like. Um... The, the theme of, like, difficult relationships with, like, absent parents was, like, 
very present in PJO, and it seems kind of missing in Heroes of Olympus without anything to replace it. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm realizing is that Heroes of Olympus is actually going really hard on it. <laughs> like, it's going really... <laughs> like, it's kind of everywhere in a way uh-huh. that, like, the the metaphor of Camp Half-Blood in, in PJO was everywhere. Uh, I, I feel like it's sort of been... It's sort of superseded that metaphor, uh, and now it is like all about relationships with parents, especially in this book. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, like I mean, pe- people's parents are po- popping up to give them pep talks left, right, and center. You know, uh, definitely. Yeah. Or to try and kill them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I I completely agree with your read on the fight. I I think that it ruins the atmosphere. It 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 hits the atmosphere Tartarus a bit. But also, we're leaving Tartarus now, right? Yeah, it's it's a simultaneous thing of like we're leaving Tartarus, and also like the fact that that like all encompassing atmosphere is being punctured is like part of what makes it so effective. Like with with Bob embracing being Bob, you know. Definitely, yeah. Uh, and some of the ways that that's done on like the scene to scene sort of level is like Tartarus. This is something that often happens in these like sorts of like larger than life figures and like embracing a human form or what have you uh now that he has like a physical form which i guess he's like never taken before or only done like once or twice he mentions that he's not even done this to like take on the gods before so this could be the first time right yeah uh he is like he didn't realize that there were like because you have a physical form you have to be tied down by uh physical (laughs) like physics uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. And he, he like he likes some of that. He likes some of the sensations, but also it, it makes him weaker. Uh, and it, so the book is like, I guess, addressing that. But he's still enough of a challenge to make it so like Annabeth is fucking. She can't talk her way out of this. Yeah, An- Annabeth can't talk her way out of this. Percy is so pant-shittingly terrified that he just drops his sword. I I really like that. Uh, it's made clear that like. Bob Bob does not have like the power to like destroy Tartarus now. He has the power to get killed slightly slower by this incredibly powerful entity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Percy dropping a sword is one of my favorite bits in here. Like that, mm. that he's a scared boy. He knows he cannot fight this. Yeah, the the entire thing with Bob is very effective, I think. Mm. Um like he he's he's certainly no longer an antagonist. He's re- explicitly rejecting like the idea of being an antagonist. Kind of Domison also comes around and kind of rejects he rejects his own cycle. I'm fucking, you know, proud of that guy. He's like, you know what? I'm going to I I this took until my reread to realize that he rode in on the Dracon. Yeah, he's he's like he's not just killing it anymore. He's like conquering it and like using it to move on. Exactly. Yeah, that, that that's really cool. I I like that we are be, ever everyone is breaking out of their cycles. It's very good. I do wish we got a bit more of uh, Damascen because he like he had a lot of like angst in in the chapters where he showed up before, uh, and he when he shows up here, we basically just get like from him. I decided to not have that angst anymore, uh, and then he goes to fight Tartarus, and we don't see him again. But it is still cool. It is cool. I I think if we got too much, then he would start to feel less like mythological in the way that he does. That's true. Like we we don't want to go too internal on him because he is sort of someone that we just observe. 
Yeah, and it's also like that. This is supposed to be like the fast-paced exit from Tartarus. If we stop to have like a, a full like family therapy session with Damas, and it might slow it down too much. Yeah, sometimes family therapy is just hitting your dad with a sword over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a, just like it's a sick-ass anime entrance, right? That's that's what it is. Like he oh one hundred percent. He comes in. He's like, I chose myself a new fate. Like that. That's a fucking fire emblem line. <laughs> Percy tries to kill himself again. <laughs> he's always doing this in one way or another. Yeah, this time he's like, oh, I have to sacrifice myself to save Annabeth. And as soon as he reveals that that is his plan, Annabeth is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? That's stupid. That's not going to work. And I'm not going to let you do that. L plus ratio plus you are a seaweed brain. <laughs> Stop doing this. You try to do this every fucking book. Uh, Yeah. Uh, inst- instead he uses the like underworld water like all the rivers to fight which is cool as hell it's very fun although it is, it is kind of fucked that he like we- we've been over like you know maybe it was kind of unethical what Percy did to Bob with the river leaf but also he is like splashing a bunch of monsters with it in these chapters which I get that he I get that he has to but also you, you can't take personal responsibility for everyone whose brain you wipe <laughs> If they're a named character, you have to kind of think about it a little bit. Otherwise, you're in the clear. If they're, like, telekine number seven, then it's whatever. Then you can literally kill their children and there are no consequences. <laughs> uh, I, like, maybe there will be an R.I. curse where per- Percy will say, ouch, a curse, which I think happens in this chapter. He does. He tanks a curse and we don't hear what it is, but it is, like, hammered home twice The oh, no, he's gotten a curse. I wonder what it could be. So I imagine that's going to come up later. Maybe, yeah. Percy got the dying curse. <laughs> people, pe- people keep trying to give him just like injuries, like oh, you get the curse that like oh, the arrow through your chest, you get the poison curse. You smell like poop from the stables forever. He killed a lot of people. Just give him the the killing dying curse. I mean, to be fair, they did that, and then he got the not dying anymore juice from Damason. I guess no, that's still poison though. Like, just make the curse that he dies. You know, that that has to be something. <laughs> There's no poetic irony in that. I guess you're right. You're right that it, it is a... There's not a lot to talk about in these chapters specifically uh, because it is such a, like, quick entrance out. Like, we get... Everyone hits their beats, basically. Yeah, but, you know, the the kind of villains that we've been kind of siding with get the, the big self-actualization moments. Perse- oh, actually, there's, there's some, it's some Annabeth stuff still to talk about. Okay, Annabeth yeah. has kind of a big moment. Uh, is it the one near the end or a different one? Uh, the one near the end. Be- before, are you talking about in the elevator? Yeah. Well, before we get in the elevator, she has a very sad goodbye with Bob. This is so fucking sad. Yeah. She she promises to tell her children about the good giant and the good titan. And uh, Yeah. And he says to tell the sun and the stars hello for me. Oh, uh, it's... It's so good, and also that line, that line fucking rips. No wonder that was turned into the title of the spin-off book. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Rick Riordan is hitting on all cylinders. <laughs> uh, but you talk about the elevator. I, I don't know what to make of what Annabeth is going through in, in the fucking elevator. Because she is basically discovering that she, like, maybe has, like, the exact opposite responsibility to what Percy does. Uh-huh. Where she's like... You know, maybe maybe children of Athena need to uh, 
make hard sacrifices to the detriment of other people for the greater good. The thing that Percy is physically incapable of doing. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder if this is, and I, I suspect it probably won't be, but it'd be kind of cool if this was like a fundamental like splitting point between them. That yeah, because it could go either way, right? It could be mm-hmm. like this is their, this is them being sort of opposites, and that's sort of welding them together. Uh, or it could be like this is just an ideological split. It could either be like the the ideological split that like breaks them up, or it could be the like, you know, Annabeth is there for when Percy needs to like get his head out of his ass sometimes, and Percy is there for when Annabeth is maybe being a bit too quick on the cruel and heartless thing, and they kind of balance each other out in that way. Which kind of is, has been their dynamic, so I I think I'd probably see it more going that way. This is this is more Frank Shanger Asia, however. Uh huh. Because this was supposed to be bit. his fucking job. I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> Annabeth's been around longer. We have to give this to her. We do, this... but literally, what he was told to do at the end of Son of Neptune was like, "Hey, Percy's going to be put in a position where he has to make a huge sacrifice, and you need to be there to make sure he does it." And it kind of seems like Annabeth just did that. Maybe, yeah. I, I guess what's ending up happening is that Frank is becoming a front of the line tactical leader. Annabeth is like a back of the line strategist. That yeah, that makes sense actually when you put it like that. This is a sort of a not a resolution, but this is really just. Her, she has not stopped having the same character arc in like a, a good way uh, mm-hmm. since like Sea of Monsters. Like, this is still her dealing with her hubris, right? This is her coming to new revelations about, like, oh, wait, I, you know, I I realized that I single-handedly can't save the world and change it in my own image, but also I also need to, like, I can't win every fight, I can't out-talk every monster, I can't save every life. Uh, And I I think that's a good, like, expansion of that idea. Yeah, definitely. It It goes beyond the, like... It's nice because it ties together like uh, her architectural ambitions to be like, oh, I want to rebuild the whole world in my image, with the like strategic battle, battle goddess uh, Athena stuff. Definitely, yeah, and that really makes the character feel, I guess, true. You know? Yeah, yeah. This feels like a thing that would happen to Annabeth. I think part of the reason this whole scene hits so hard is because the uh, elevator is kind of terrifying. <laughs> I, I think it's it's immediately framed really well. Like, as soon as they get in there, they have to, like... There are no handles or, like... The, the doors won't shut on their own. They have to lean against opposite sides of the doors to keep them shut as the elevator goes up for 12 minutes. Yeah, while, like, I, the, the fucking... The fires of hell seemingly try to get in. Which is awesome. That That's, like, good. That is a good little setting for what is uh, kind of them both going through a lot of emotional turmoil. Definitely. And I think, like, I really like the detail that the, the, the elevator is playing, like, fucking Jimmy Buffett music while this is happening. Yeah. Literally, <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it, it literally, it's, I don't know, I don't remember if this was Jimmy Buffett, but it's like, it's uh, the Pina Colada song. Uh, God, yeah, I, I don't know if that is him, but it might as well be him. Yeah, it, it, it is in our hearts. And it, it hits something which I think that Rick Ryden sometimes fucks up, which is, like, tonal clash. But I think I think in this case it really works as just, like, the, the elevator is kind of quiet and almost normal, and that kind of, like, throws into sharp relief the extremely traumatic shit that these two have just been through. Definitely, yeah. This is not the party ponies invading, basically. 
It's not. It's not. Uh, and Annabeth also notices that Percy might might be kind of pissed off. I I really hope that like this isn't how we resolve. Like Percy is mad at the gods. That he is just uh-huh. like even madder at Gaia. <laughs> I hope there's room in his heart to hate both of them. I hope so. Right. But at the same time, that's kind of what happened with, like, Calypso and Bob. That's kind of been the resolution Uh, going. It kind of has been, yeah. Fuck. So the the greater, we have to focus on the greater evil seems to be sort of the the log line of the series right now. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Today, the uh, that reminds me. Uh, there's various things here that keep scale in mind. I guess like keep power levels in mind throughout these chapters. Oh, Damason and Bob together still cannot really defeat Tartarus. All that. Yeah. Uh, but Tartarus offhandedly refers to the Titans as uh, the lesser children of Gaia, which he does that so. Um, he does that so offhandedly that it really just makes you be like, oh shit, well, what the fuck was the entire like first five books then? <laughs> like super de-emphasizing all of the huge events in like the physical realm. Uh, it, it really, it shows the difference perspective really well, I guess. Everything that like is scary and real and important to us means nothing to Tartarus. Yeah, no, that that is that is a good like... Yeah, he just fucking lives in this pit being, like, the foundations of the entire universe. He doesn't give a shit about the Titan War. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about the uh, Annabeth chapters? Nope. Shall we move on to Hazel's, then? Uh, yeah. These are, these are packed with so much more shit, even though there's only two of them, which I feel like has been the pattern for this entire book. Definitely, yeah. We're left here with Hazel and Leo, our, our dynamic duo, our difficult dynamic duo. <laughs> Leo is a fucking doomer now. Uh-huh. He is... His new life philosophy is is literally, like, him burning through his supply of it is what it is. He, yeah, que sera, sera, for sure. Yep. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, uh, everything that happens uh, is because the universe is a big machine that I have no control over, but everything probably happens for a reason. Uh, which means that I probably, maybe, will definitely get to see Calypso again. Please. Yeah, this is a this is a new interpretation of Leo world where <laughs> uh, the the world that Leo lives in is a machine. He wants it to be a machine because that's the only way it makes sense to him. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, it chugs along and sometimes things go haywire and, you know, you can try to fix it. But ultimately, there's not a lot you can do about that. You live inside of the machine, not outside of it. Yeah, I, I, I think the book also knows that Leo is like fucking really depressed and has like tucked himself into a bad corner mentally here yeah because like his his whole spiel about how oh the universe is basically a big machine comes directly after uh bob's fucking like seizing a new identity has a material effect on a fight he gets in with his dad definitely yeah this is not a book where the world is a machine like absolutely not this is Leo saying something that is incorrect because he is sad. He is, ex- he's really fucking sad. Like, he he is the kind of sad where Hazel is just, like, looking at him and being like, damn, you're fucked up. Yeah, I like this uh, sort of iteration on their relationship. Because now that all the love triangle stuff has been removed, they just kind of get to be, like, kind of awkward and uncomfortable around each other as two people who've, like, 
gotten to know each other, but only in very specific ways. Only in a, you look exactly like your dead granddad that I kind of had a thing with 60 years ago. <laughs> and the, yeah, and the relationship has barely progressed past that. So that really makes it like when they are stuck together, they have to really pull out all their shit to, to, to figure it out. <laughs> like Hazel is crying and it's like, she is, she's out like, throwing a tantrum. I think the book says, yeah. Uh, and Leo has to be like, Hey, are you like legit sad? <laughs> like, Hey, are you like good. <laughs> it's good. I do. I do enjoy that in their conversation. Uh, Hazel tries to be like, oh, I'm sorry that I kind of led you on a bit. And you know, even even in the depths of his depression, Leo is not going to fucking put up with that. He he shuts that down and is like, no, 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 that's not what happened. We, like, but implicitly by shutting it down, he's like, we were kind of equally culpable for all the weirdness between us. Yeah, I definitely. I Hazel has a bit of an antiquated worldview, you might say. Uh, and I'm, she, I'm, I'm glad... She has the antiquated worldview of Rick Ryden when he was writing Serpent Shadow. Yeah, yeah, hey, <laughs> definitely. Uh, and I'm glad that that gets, like, rebuffed here, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we're not just repeating the fucking Bears and Bast thing, where it's like Bast is implicitly manipulating him because she is a pretty woman. God, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, they are like Bez and Bast. That's interesting. That's really interesting. I, wow. Wow. Huh. There's a lot of parallels there. I don't know that I can get onto all of them right now, but I'm going to be thinking about that for a little bit. I'm thinking about this because of the Kane Chronicles merch on my desk. Kane Chronicles merch, you say? (laughs) (laughs) Post that on Twitter publicly. No, I'm good. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So... I there's a really good bit where they're like, all right, they sort of cutting away the artifice. They're like, all right, there's two paths. Which one should we go down? Hazel's like, this one feels more dangerous. Let's go that way. The plot's probably down here, and Leo's like, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, fucking the farting weasel shows up again. I I swear to God, Gale shows up and then just is not mentioned for the rest of these chapters. It's in what's happening. This has to be, like, a, in the last chapter, Gale is going to turn out to be, like, Gaia's mother or something like that. Like, Gale is going to be, like, chaos, right? <laughs> Where I'm at right now is I think Gale was just Hecate. Gale might have just been Hecate. Because Hecate yeah. shows up at the end of these. I I could, I, my, my legit theory is Gale was, like, a fucking tracking beam, basically. <laughs> Hecate could but, could smell the bad polecat farts, and that's how she followed them down. <laughs> God, it's entirely unnecessary. We don't need the farting weasel. Because the smell rises up, so it goes up through the tunnels back up to the surface, and Hecate falls it down. It makes perfect sense when you think about it. <sighs> I guess so. <laughs> Got the big green stink clouds. She's just following them like a fucking Looney Tunes character to a pie. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh. Maybe this is why this is why Classius is so like weirded out when she shows up. Maybe. Like, why are you taking all those deep those deep long sniffs of the air? God. <laughs> uh that's horrifying. That's horrible. <laughs> why why do I do you why did you reread this recently? Why do I have the words marsupial jujitsu written down in my notes? Oh fuck. 
That that phrase did come up. Why the fuck did someone say that? I, that rings a bell. Is it just like maybe Gail was gonna do some of that, whatever that is? Polecats are not marsupials. Okay, then I don't know what the f- I don't know what fucking context this would have come up. Oh, oh, it was um uh, Leo said that uh, Frank would probably be fine because he'll turn into a kangaroo and do some marsupial jujitsu. Oh yeah, it's a very funny. It's funny to imagine Frank becoming fucking kangaroo Jack, <laughs> or like boxing. Kangaroos are just like horrifying. They will kill you. <laughs> They will legitimately just, like, attack. Do you know about this? I didn't know about it. I didn't think... I thought you had to, like, train them to box. I thought it was just, I mean, like, a kind of animal abuse that people did. That's definitely a kind of animal abuse, but they can do it, is what I'm saying. Okay. They're like horses in that way. I like imagine. horses in that they, they can kick you in the head and kill you, and that means they are, like, cosmologically evil. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is why Percy is also evil. that's right that's the final book twist (laughs) what the fuck were we talking about oh i do i like that i like that leo on on the top of the marsupial thing he has he has confidence in frank now yeah yeah exactly he's not like oh that that stupid frank he he'll never figure it out with his big fat dumb ass and you know what i like i like that he doesn't say frank's hot now he'll be fine i like that that's not brought up and we're talking about it as little as possible Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, the the setting that we are in for most of this chapter is like the we're in the Greek pantheon, but it's like goth now. It's very edgy. It's covered in like skulls and shit. Nico would like it here, I think. Yeah, it's Hades moded for sure. For sure, not Pluto moded. No, it doesn't have enough jewels. And we get sort of the ultimate desecration of like. The doors of death have been chained here. They're just Leo and Hazel are equally surprised, like to the degree that we were when they see the fucking elevator doors. I think and they're just like, "The fuck is this? Did they smash an altar to make these?" Yeah, yeah, they've <laughs> destroyed like the very important altar to Hades. Hades should have brought Pluto should have brought that up. I think it's weird how little pluto slash hades has been in this book he shows up as an incidental pep talk for hazel once and he's apart from that he's not in it 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 feels like he should be more of a major character since he's in the book you know he's like he's in the title of the book uh-huh then again i get did, did poseidon even show up instead of neptune i guess maybe not like it's more important that there is a son of neptune that there is That's a house true. of hades rick Ryden has gotten us again exactly and we get our villains, we get fucking invisible. Pacify is invisible until Leo makes us like a stupid j- a joke that is too stupid for her to accept. <laughs> this, this is one of those things that really does make it seem like this world is really just all Leo's big game that he can control, you know? <laughs> and that he, he just talks shit until like he provokes events into happening. Exactly. Yeah, like, Cladius is there, and he's just being menacing, and Pacifae is invisible, and then he's like, oh, I didn't realize through the feminine voice you'd come out of such a big guy, and she's like, oh, you fucking, I'm so annoyed by you. <laughs> she's so, she's so annoyed by the implicit transphobia. Uh-huh. Uh, and the, the description of her is like, there's one specific line that stood out to me, uh, which is that she was like a statue that you might admire, but could never love. Rick, 
What does that mean? Maybe Rick is like he's like the 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 Greek sculptor. I can't remember his fucking name. The one that like fell in he's love like, with one of his sculptures. He's like fucking um, Pygmalion. That's the one. That's incredibly funny. The idea that Rick Riordan is out looking at statues, being like, "All right, hot, not hot, hot, not, not, not." He Would never he, fall in love with this one. He saw the the statue of Neptune from earlier in this book that like has his hog out. Uh-huh. Uh, and he fell in love with that statue. Yeah, he was like, I would admire this, but I could never love it. It would only be a fling. <laughs> I, I just think it's an incredibly weird turn of phrase. Like, it's one of those metaphors that feels like it was written. Like, I get what it's going for, but it feels like it was written. Like, okay, I have to just, I have to produce a sentence right now. I'm going to produce a thing that basically gets it across, and I'm not going to edit edit it later. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, these books are fucking doorstops. He might, he may have skimped on the editing. That's you know, it's fair. It it gets it, it gets the point across, and it's also innocuous enough that if you did do a second pass, you probably wouldn't notice it. Oh yeah, I didn't I didn't realize it was there, and I just reread these. But now that you point it out, yeah, it is fucking weird. Oh, pacify. What, what the fuck is going on here? Uh huh. I there there is like this is a persistent trend now with these books. Where, like, Rick will introduce... Here is a lady from Greek mythology who was uh, fucked over in the original story uh, in part by the fact that the framing of it was extremely sexist. Uh, And she is... She is not only the character from that story, but she also uh, knows about that framing and is kind of pissed off about it in retrospect. But also, that's still, like, a villainous motivation that we're not going to, like, examine in a way that is, like, sympathetic to her or anything like that. And it's like, you're halfway through re-examining this myth and figuring out why it might have been kind of fucked up, but you haven't quite gotten there. He never goes the full way. It's, it's, they're all the same character, too. Like, uh, fucking, um, Circe. Uh, yeah. Medea. Arachne. Pacify. Arachne. Uh, Medusa Arachne... had her fucking backstory changed so that she'd be less sympathetic. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's it's insane how many evil sorceresses that do a misandry <laughs> specifically. Like they will specifically be like, and now I hate men. Which, to be fair, if you if you like crawl out of the ground after millennia of being dead or whatever the fuck has happened to her, and the first like man you meet is Leo Valdez, uh-huh. you might you They're might definitely. conclude that the entire the entire gender is annoying and needs to be destroyed. That's incredibly fair. Uh, I I love Leo, but I also support this conclusion. Definitely. And he didn't really do any editing with this story, though. He kind of just left it as is, and it's bleak. It's a bleak fucking story, which, again, makes it all the more insane that the, the, his takeaway was, yeah, Pacify would be a villain. Yeah, it's really, really weird. It's like, um... It's the it's the thing you see with like once in a while Marvel or whatever will put in like a character who people are like oh this guy's sympathetic but there's just enough in there to be like well he's wrong too yeah she's uh, fucking killmonger yeah, yeah it's he they're all a little bit of a killmonger uh, he always makes them like they were wronged they are trying to like uh, get revenge for their for the injustices done upon them but revenge is never the answer right you should never turn men into pigs or into guinea pigs or uh into like statues or make them fight each other 
Or, or just want to display your weaving in Olympus. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> also kill a bunch of kids, but, you know, we'll sweep that one under the rug. For sure. But I still think that she ends up being really effective for the short time that she is here. She No, she is a cool villain, for sure. I guess we should actually go over what her story is now that I think about it. Yeah. Uh, basically, she was cursed by the gods. If you heard this one before, folks. Um <laughs> I think in revenge for King Minos doing something wrong. He didn't uh, give the proper sacrifices to Poseidon. Yeah. Was it Poseidon or was it Zeus? It says Poseidon in the chapters. Okay, yeah. And so she is cursed uh, to fuck a bull, to fall in love with a bull and have sex with it. A detail which makes it into the chapters almost unedited. Exactly. That's what is insane to me. (laughs) Uh, Like... I'm not mad that it's here because that is true. That is what the story is. But compared to like book one, uh, this, what happened with Medusa's story, it's a stark contrast. I guess because you can't, you, the, the, this is fucked up, but it doesn't make Percy's dad a rapist. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but thus produced the Minotaur who was, who was trapped into a labyrinth for the rest of his life. Uh, and she she was killed at some point. Now she's yep. back. And now she's back, and she hates, checks notes, demigods. <laughs> this is demigods' faults, apparently, not the gods for doing the curse. I guess so. <laughs> well, I guess she wants to destroy the gods as well, but still. She does, yeah. And, of course, Gaia, very different than the gods, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they're all totally not weird cosmic beings that are going to lord over us and screw around with us whenever they want to. It's fine as long as she has her eternal fucking... Her eternal, like, game of Survivor that she's just playing with a bunch of demigods in a labyrinth. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but what really makes this good is how um, Hazel implicitly draws the connection between herself and the Minotaur and Pacify and her own mother when she sees, like, how Pacify gets a look in her eye when she talks about the Minotaur that reminds that reminds Hazel of the way that her own mother would sometimes, like, look at her and see just, like... Hazel could see that she was just seeing, like, a problem, right? It's, it's so fucked that, like, basically the end of Hazel's, like, dealing with the, the stuff left over from her relationship with her mother was, like accepting that it was okay to like sacrifice herself and go to the fields of punishment for her. and like we haven't we haven't really gone back to that since and now we are i guess i we are we are i hope i hope this builds into like more of a re-examination of that yeah i i imagine we're not going to go back in that conclusion but it'll probably just be complicated more right i'll take that i'll take it because What I think is really good here is the metaphor of, like, I think the labyrinth is an effective metaphor that wasn't necessarily used to its best when it actually showed up in book four. Yeah, definitely. And the labyrinth as a metaphor for, like, you are in the labyrinth, you are being abused, you are are confused, you do not know where you are, you are unmoored. Uh, it, it, It works really well for that. Your parents are going to put you in the contraption, parentheses, labyrinth. Exactly, yes. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, and you know what Hazel does? She fucking... She remakes the labyrinth. She 
I, I, I love both both from like that, that kind of character perspective and also just from like the way that Hazel's powers are working perspective. Like how she gets out of this. Because like she's uh-huh. used her magic powers like one time. So she doesn't have like the, the mastery to like brute force her way out with willpower or anything. She literally just like is able to shift things just enough to like get an advantage. Which is very cool. I just I enjoy when that happens. Oh, definitely. Yeah, she she uses basically the same trick, but applied applied in similarly small ways as she did with like the uh, the archer from earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but used. She knows how to survive suffering. Is what is what like ends up giving her oh, the victory. For sure. And that is kind of like the message here. Like it. Like, hey, you are going to be able to survive and turn things around is kind of what I think what this chapter is getting at with the sort of the mm. big metaphor of abuse happening. But I think that is a pretty good thing to put in your children's book. It's a nice thing to put in your children's book, for sure. I also, I, I like I like mechanically, like, the way that we see um, how much more effective uh, passive, passive, whatever the fuck, uh, her, her face's uh, illusions are than Hazel's. Because, uh-huh. like, Hazel and Leo know absolutely 100% for sure that what's happening around them is an illusion. But it's so convincing that they, like, they, they shit themselves and run away anyway. And they, like, can't stop themselves from doing that. And, like, clearly Pacifier is, like, able to keep the traps coming thick and fast enough that they can't catch their breath and get out. And I think that's just, it's a very effective way of making, like, illusion magic like a powerful thing that you can't just like brute force your way past by like knowing it's fake yeah absolutely also there's probably something in in the abuse metaphor in there about like not being given any space to figure out that this is actually bullshit and you have more control than you think you do right even if you know that it's wrong you can't just it's you can't just leave sometimes right Mm -hmm. yeah like or that's how you will feel while you're in the situation like or, or materially sometimes you will literally not be able to leave yeah, sometimes there's a there's a big giant that shoots black smoke out there. Exactly. Yeah. Oh God, the big giant. Uh, we get a uh, Rick Riordan and all those timers. We get a fucking twelve minute timer. They have to. <laughs> they <laughs> At least to... this one fucks off in a single chapter. Yes. Yes. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 joking, but it's it is funny that that is very quickly it not introduced because we already knew about it but that is dropped like a big like in the way that all the other timers in the series are you know uh-huh isn't meteor's gaia like constantly making slightly contradictory promises to people uh she sure seems to be promising like 18 different people oh yeah you'll have all the demigods you want to torture in my cool new world yeah pacify of all people gets to have all of the demigods but also like uh fucking ZCs or whatever his name is gets to have Piper specifically and like and and you know she can the the lady can have Jason and like oh that person can also have Jason but on Wednesdays and you know like it's it's oh, very like Calypso if Calypso joins Gaia uh she can have Percy it's and also she will need at least one pair of one of uh one boy and one girl demigod to sacrifice so it's <laughs> it's incredibly like it makes her come off as, like, not being the shrewd manipulator type. Like, she is making promises, but she has not, like, got it all smoothly planned out in that way because she kind of doesn't need to. I'm starting to wonder if Gaia might just be kind of a dipshit who's completely just kind of winging it. Because 
we've already been over how like she keeps like lying to people in like really obvious ways to get disproven like a book later <laughs> for no real reason what it comes off as a little bit i mean first off it comes off as like all right why is this person why is this villain here a uh, guy i promised them something all right yeah. but secondly it comes off the effect of that is that Gaia ends up seeming like someone who is powerful enough that she doesn't really need to worry about, like, what she'll do afterwards with all of these promises. She could just, like, if someone annoys her, she can kill them, right? Yeah, once the, once the like, main organized resistance to her is gone, she can just, like, kill whoever crosses her. Exactly. But yeah, she, she Kronos, she ain't. Yeah. And uh, then Pacify gets, uh, shooted, like a game of fucking shoots and ladders. <laughs> oh god that is what happens she just falls down a fucking looney to bring again a looney tunes tunnel i was i was really hoping that like the the way that this would end up being resolved was like you know hazel's using her illusion magic and it would be like she traps pacify in like a, a delirious like she can see like demigods being tortured in an illusory labyrinth for all eternity uh, and she's just, like, lying in a corner somewhere being like, oh, this is so cool, I could watch this forever, and then does, and she's just completely neutralized as a threat. Falling falling down a hole feels kind of weak compared to that. A little IMO. bit, yeah. Or at the very least, she should she should think she falls down a hole, but is actually just lying on the floor screaming, thinking she's falling. Yeah, well, I guess that it kind of is what happens here. Like, they make it so that there isn't actually a hole there. And then she thinks she fell down the hole, so she falls down the hole that doesn't exist. Oh, that's what... Okay, I see. I understand now. Yeah, so it's a weird blending of, like, illusion and, I guess, mind over matter, in a way. I was a little unclear on, like, why exactly she fell down the fucking hole. Yeah, it was... I think because she is such a creature of illusion that she is very susceptible to it, perhaps, herself. Uh, Yeah. Wasn't here for a long time, but was here for a good time, folks. I got. I gotta say, for a character who was kind of hyped up as like so intimidating that we're not even gonna like speak her name, kind of went out like a chump. Oh, for sure, for <laughs> sure. Hazel, Hazel got the dub. Good, good for Hazel. Yes, Claudius much scarier. I don't know, man. I I think that he could have solved a lot of problems very quickly if he just stuck out his hand and blocked that fucking screwdriver. <laughs> Uh-huh. I, su- I suspect a lot of issues are going to happen for Gaia in the next book in a bit that would have been completely avoided if he had just, like, nudged that out of the way and stopped Leo from hitting the button with it. That is true, but you have to give Leo the respect, the like, the mechanics respect. The mechanics respect. He, maybe he just threw it really good and really fast. That's exactly, yeah, he, he did an epic throw. <laughs> you, you can't deny Leo his epic throw. It's true. You You, you can't do that. And without that, Clytius wouldn't have been able to talk to them, because the only way he can talk is by devouring people's souls and voices and pulling the words out of them via their life force. Which is uh, pretty fucking sick. It's sick, yeah. This is a genuinely just, like, wizard painted on the side of a van-ass moment. (laughs) What the fuck? What are you talking about? You don't know about wizards painting on the sides of vans? I know that people do that. What? I didn't know it had a specific context. I mean, I, there's no specific context. I just mean, like, this is the energy. This is the vibe. It's it's cool in the same way. I see. It's, I understand. I would get this scene painted on the side of my van if I had a van. Uh, we, Clytius is... He's you big gotta... and scary. 
Uh-huh. You got to be really careful and sound the the guy's name out when you're asking it to get pa- painted on the side of your van. Otherwise, you might end up not being able to drive it anywhere without getting arrested. That's true. <laughs> Cladius is the devourer of magic, and Leo tries to do like a wimpy little fireball and kill him. He's the uh, devourer of magics, work. and so Leo Leo's plan is I'm going to shoot magic at him. Which, Hazel, like, what's this? <laughs> I realized that like Leo Leo is the fire guy. They know they know that he uh, is weak to fire. They're gonna try and shoot him with Leo's magic fire, right? Uh-huh. Um they should have just brought like a makeshift flamethrower or something and fought and <laughs> like battled him with non magic fire. Listen, Leo went into that convenience store in uh, Bologna or whatever the fuck. He should have just like picked up some deodorant and a lighter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, inst- but, but instead, immediately after uh, taking the, immediately after getting his screwdriver dub, he is knocked out like a chump. You think you think if this encounter had happened like a book ago, and it was it was Hazel and Leo here, Leo would have just like chucked Frank's firewood at him to see what happened. <laughs> oh, probably right. Because <laughs> that's that's more powerful than just like fire magic is like the life force or whatever the fuck that you know that broke the chains that held death. Oh, for sure, for sure. Probably would have worked. Frank can take one for the team on this one. God, <laughs> uh, what do you think about how this ends? Hecate showing up, doing doing a big entrance. Like, what about my flames, old friend? Uh, lame and dumb compared to uh, Bacchus doing a literal Deus Ex Machina maneuver last book. I think. Yeah, it's not as cool. She just, like, walks in from the door. It's like a fucking sitcom entrance. She doesn't even, like, like fucking uh, douse him with some fire from, like, out of, out of quote-unquote, out of frame or whatever the fuck. She, she, yeah. You're right, it is just, like, uh, she walks in, says her line, and there's, like, a pause for applause. Yeah, it's kind of cool, but it, it's, not, it's not the big grand entrance you might want for the big team-up that will presumably be the climactic moment of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just before we climax, uh, not to bring <laughs> it back to sort of last week's theme, but we need to stop. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> that, that's, that's all we have for the chapters this week. All right. Percy Jackson characters are not cishet. Jane, tell me your thoughts. Uh, my, my thoughts are, I, I have to once again give it to Bob. I, I, I called out his name Euphoria a few weeks ago. But uh, I don't. I don't think anything anything gets more transgender than him. He literally does the "my name is Neo" thing from the Matrix, while yeah. fighting his dad, who's trying to like deny his identity. Like, come on, come on. It's really good. <laughs> What's your pick? I kind of want to give it to the Minotaur. Uh huh. I don't know. If you There's do this, trans vibes. If you do uh-huh. this, you make Percy transphobic. No, okay, you're right. I can't give it to the Minotaur. I love that Pacify takes so many L's in these chat. Like she, she's like outraged about like her history and what like happened to her kid and stuff like that. But also she like falls down a pit and dies three seconds before the guy who like killed her kid twice shows up. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's go, Cl- Clydeus. Uh, he has voice dysphoria, so he can't use his own voice. Fuck yeah. We do what we can here, folks, for our segments. <laughs> So Hazel's transphobic. Hazel has not yet killed him. This, this could is, be a... This is true. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. 
Well, that's been the show. Our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by at nsmith underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. You can find them at moonshotpods.com. Our uh, big stream, it's coming up. Uh, and then in June, we've got a special little surprise. So keep your eyes peeled. Now, uh, if you want to find us, you can go to twitter.com slash unwisegirls, where uh, you will get our socials, our email, our updates on when we post episodes, you'll get visual companions, and uh, various other things. We, we, po- we post on there, folks. If you like posting, go to, go to the poster site. We post uh, on, on there whenever I remember to do that, and sometimes I don't for like a week. <laughs> That is true. And every time that happens, Jane gets put into a hole. She, I, I say, Jane, look out, there's a hole under you. And she believes that there is one, so she does. It's fucked up, but I've made good friends with Pacify. I'm really I glad. I also want to destroy the gods now. You know what? I think that's fair. That's epic. <laughs> if you want to support us and our plans to destroy the gods, you can leave a five-star rating and review. You can tell a friend about our show. Someone, you know, likes these books. If someone, you know, likes Greek mythology, then they might like the show. Someone just likes crit- good critical analysis. Uh, and if you want to support us monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month, you can get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you can get the Discord role of friend of bacchus as well as all of our bonus content if you would like to listen to a podcast episode titled an ouroboros of poop then this is this is the patreon tfeu friends we talk about stuff like that <laughs> we were trying that, that was us trying to figure out what the grossest movies we'd ever watched were and you were talking about the human centipede yeah <laughs> uh we, we 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 talk about a variety of topics we, it's a it's kind of just a, a two if, if you like when we talk on here about anything then we definitely talk about anything on there if you like when we get sidetracked and talk about shit that's not related to these books who oh boy like here we try to keep that to two minutes there it's the whole show <laughs> for some people that's podcast poison but if you're one of the special people who likes that then <laughs> go there uh five dollars a month you get the discord of aphrodite's chosen sorry it is that, that's it's been a while since i've it's been a hot minute since it's been called that yeah <laughs> Venus has chosen all of our bonus content and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, uh, this week we'd like to thank I Love Sammy's Great, Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, <laughs> this is Clem Bianchi. I'm a courier, delivering mail and space, one package at a time. If you're hearing this message, I need some help. I'm trying to deliver a package to a guy on Pluto. Says his name is Gorge Flummox. If anyone knows a Gorge Flummox on Pluto, please let him know I've been trying to reach him about his box of Lunarian cheese. I know the box is full of cheese because for the last few weeks, I've started hearing things when I touch my cargo. When I pick up a letter or a package, I hear conversations and sometimes even see things tied to whoever the mail is for or from. I call it the letter opener. 
it's yanked me into some real situations. A haunted house, a pizza delivery drag race, and even a revolution to take a city back from the bigwigs who keep its hoverboard sports engine humming. You can hear all about it on Additional Postage Required, a bi-weekly audio drama on the Moonshot Podcast Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Anyway, if you know Gorge, please tell him to give me a call. I think his cheese is starting to move around in the box.